This is Life, Death, Sci-Fi. I'm Eric. And I'm Chris. We are coming to you from somewhere across the Atlantic in a clipper ship with its electric sails, carbon neutral, and we are discussing King Stanley Robinson's The Ministry of the Future. I'm there. I'm on that boat. Yeah. Greta, what's her name? I actually don't know her name. It's terrible. Is it Thunberg yeah. or Thunberg? She's tough. I thought of her a few times while reading this. And partly, I guess I also thought of her when I was re-listening to Ezra Klein's, I guess under Vox Conversations now, but he had that interview with Ken Stanley Robinson. That's what started this all. You heard that uh, podcast and you said, hey, we got to read this book. You sent me the link to the podcast and I didn't get a chance to listen to it. So I'm interested. Oh, yeah, you got to listen to it. Yeah, it's great. But one of the things they talked about a little bit in there is just how easy the cynicism can be. And it's so easy to call people out for their hypocrisy. And going back to Greta Thunberg, how awesome that she did sail across the Atlantic to speak to the United Nations in New York. Luckily, some wealthy benefactor allowed her to use this sailboat so she could do that. Now we get to talk about one of my favorite conspiracy theories about this story that sweeps through the shadowy government ministry of money that black hand, black work, yeah, works on its own. We should say there will likely be spoilers. We were starting with a conspiracy. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. The financial sectors of the world. Governments, too. These big sweeping themes that went through this story. I read this story in such an odd way. I downloaded it on my Kindle. I read a few lines of it and then I forgot about it. And then a couple of weeks later, we decided, yeah, that's definitely the book. So I got on it and I, I was reading and I was reading along and I said 20, 30, 50%. And you said you were starting this really long book. And do you have the actual book? No, it's an electronic copy. As well. Electronic, yeah. And I thought, ah, oh, must, they must be counting those pages wrong or something because I'm reading this too fast. And then it got to this point and it says, okay, you're in, this is the end of the sample. And I went, what? Uh, that's the story wasn't making much sense if that's all the story it was but then it said end of the sample and i went okay so now i'm reading this longer story i thought it was all about frank but i'm glad it wasn't because that he wasn't my favorite character and then mary came along and then it turned out to be this like a saga or it could be a life story or it could be an adventure i i read this story in many different ways, and that surprised me. I heard a little bit of Robinson talking about himself, and it's an attempt to cover, obviously, a really wide, a broad issue in a span of time for them to be able to try to attempt to reverse the climate damage that we're doing to save humanity, really. So it has to cover this vast amount of time. It wasn't really that much time, maybe, what, a generation, and that's not very much time. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, it must have been. That's true. I guess in terms of real time with Mary, we're probably looking at a few years. Right in the middle of my reading of this, the glacial breakage and landslide into the dam in India, for God's sake, which is also one of the environmental disasters in this story as well. 
So that was mind blowing that. That's one of the things that just makes it so powerful is it just feels it is real. This is happening right now. <laughs> and it just brings that home in a way that depending on where you live, you may not realize. Texas? That. I was definitely thinking about Texas. We're I know. February, we're talking on February 21st, 2021. That's how recording this. I didn't even think it could snow in Texas. <laughs> I, mean, I, guess it's, I guess it does. It's just rare. But, uh, I mean, oh, it's just, it's just a disaster. And I feel so sorry for those people. Oh my God. Oh, there's horror stories coming out of there. Yeah. People trying to stay warm. How much worse does it get before we start working on these solutions that Robinson's talking about? Is our new president Biden of the United States going to be stopping glaciers or changing the currency to carbon coins. I don't see that happening. Certainly better than previous administration. One of the big takeaways for me from this book, granted it's a work of fiction, but I think it's clearly grounded in a lot of research and exploration. It's really valid, maybe a little rose colored and hopeful, but valid and possible. What struck me was just how dependent we are on systems and then systems that are controlled by bankers legislatures and as individual there's things we can do but unless you have a system that makes it so that whatever you're trying to do is widespread like it's just not going to be enough i was particularly fascinated by the whole uh, 2000 watt society oh i really like that how is that connected to the half earth idea the half earth idea that half of the earth would be sort of returned or given over to nature to do its thing. Didn't they have those long corridors up the east and west coast of the United States? He was talking about that. What a cool idea. No man's land, a borderland between different areas where animals could pass freely. Jurassic Park-like fences, electrified fences to keep unwanted people and creatures on the other side. Did they have fences? No, I'm just working on the movie version here. They did bring back the mammoth by this point. And it just happens that in the melting tundra of Siberia, was it? They found a tusk of a mammoth with the most complete DNA that they've ever found. Oh, did that happen recently? This last week. Oh, no way. I didn't hear that. Wow. That's amazing. That'd be so wild. Yeah, there's a. I'm always thinking when I read these things, like what would make great fan fiction? There's a. The, the woolly, woolly mammoth, uh, a visit to see the woolly mammoth would be a cool little piece of fan fiction. When you're reading through a scene and you just want to spend a little more time in that world, I could have spent a lot of time on that clipper ship when she first sails across. Oh, yes. I just, I just want to be on that clipper ship, reading some and- books, taking the sun. Maybe we should find that and read that because the way that he revealed that scene was just delightful for me. I I was there. Yeah, it's funny because they were talking about Jules Verne while they were on that blimp. Yeah, that clipper ship. And then it started to feel like a thousand leagues under the sea because you are in this part of the world and this part of the world. You're flying over the North Pole or Greenland and then you were in the Mediterranean. I'm going to talk about your lock. I thought that is a great idea. Why don't we do that? 
Yeah. What's the idea there? About your lock? Yeah. Taking control of your data, locking everybody out except for the people you want. And sometimes you'd even actually let them pay you for it. That needs to happen. That's an amazing idea. Pulling your own data. Yeah, I would absolutely pay for that. I'm sure most people would. I, I don't know how we get out of Facebook. So many problems there. I imagine that your lock would have hey, its own avenues for that kind of thing with the filters that you wanted to have and get paid for. Oh, did I say get paid for? I love that idea. I did yeah, uh, look up on Wikipedia and I was looking up Kim Stanley Robinson and they said that he shows scientists as heroes and how nice I thought. Yeah, I, reading this story, you can really tell that those guys are the heroes. Was Mary a, a scientist or just a politician? I guess in a way, I was definitely dealing in the world of politics. She's she was in this group, the Ministry of the Future. So she's representing them. That's good. How can you be in the Ministry of the Future without being a scientist? Is that what we're no, saying? No, no, no. I just mean she's more of a politician than a scientist. I didn't get the feeling that she was exactly a politician. Almost an NGO kind of leader in a sense or some kind of representative. Mm -hmm. Through the Wasn't it her ministry through the UN? Or It had a powerful enough backing or... What's another word for backing the power behind her position? What do you think of this idea of some sort of body that could represent people from the future that aren't here yet? Human rights for people that don't yet exist. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. The climate refugees, which we're finding now, we have a bunch of them in Texas. I, I bet there are think tanks around, even whole chat sites or groups that talk about that stuff seriously and they have to this book really made me nervous i like suspenseful books and everything but if you're nervous all the time you're reading we don't get the message if we don't do something oh. about the environment now and then well, that makes me nervous um, if i'm not nervous will i do anything about it is that what this was well, I think that's part of the power of that first chapter. I think we exchanged a couple of messages. Oh. And, and yeah, I, I, my vibe from you is just like, oh my God, you're making me read another one of these. You got the right vibe on that. Yeah, doomsday kind of stories. But in the end, it's actually hopeful. See, that's how I got whipped around with the way I was reading it. I thought I was nearing the end of the book with that kind of awful scene. And so uh, I don't know what was going to happen. Um, we should, we should say but I thought it was going to be horrible if that's the way it ended. For those that may, maybe haven't read it or, or remember just the, at the beginning in uh, Delhi, there's this terrible heat wave. And people are dying even in the shade. I don't remember the exact temperature. Then people went down to the lake to lay in the lake. And he thought that was a good idea. But then everybody else was down in the lake. And then he kind of got in the mud and all of that stuff. And he fell asleep. This is Frank. He, yeah. Oh, my he, God. He emerges as like the, I think, the lone survivor or seems like that from this. Everybody was dead. Yeah. It freaked me out. And of course, he's and yes, you got my vibe exactly. <laughs> I actually put it down for a week.
That's not surprising. I definitely felt the same. And I thought after that chapter, I thought, oh God, I can't, I don't know if I can turn to quarantine and read another one of these. But it wasn't my vibe from listening to, to <laughs> from listening to that podcast. That wasn't really what the, the book was about so much. It's about that, right? That's a part of the plot, but it's about so many other things. And that, that was what kept shielded me from that a little bit, that feeling. Yeah. And then right after the sample ended, it picked up and, and there were all these problems, but then there were solutions to these problems. And right. then at the end of the story, it was very hopeful. There were a lot of things that worked. They could see what they needed to do more of, which is a total spoiler, but I felt a little bit whiplash that way. And that was fine because I love the content of what I was reading is exactly what I feel, except I don't know. We have to talk about echo terrorism. You know, right. is, is terrorism okay if it changes the world? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Who gets well, to say? Yeah. And, I, and I'm probably going to refer to this podcast too often. And we'll put that in the show notes. It's definitely worth listening to. It's always great to hear authors themselves. And one of the things they brought up was this question of, isn't that already happening? That the way in which different corporations operate, aren't they terrorizing all of us and the earth through the damage that they're doing? The idea there could be these other responses that my, were- My head is spinning. Right, well, you have all these- <laughs> But you have all this death and all these things that are happening to people that are, that's really terrible. And that's not labeled as terrorism. Or the other point they bring up is that you've got all these gas guzzling kind of cars and stuff. And that's not talked about as if it's bioengineering. And then when you talk about the solutions, it can sometimes be, and I'm not an advocate for, for violence and assassination and stuff, but that's labeled as terrorism or the bioengineering when they try to have solutions that change the earth. Suddenly that's bioengineering and people are like, it's not natural. And it's, yeah, but mining the depths of the earth, probably through child labor is a form of violence and terrorism and certainly bioengineering. But we don't look at it that way because that's not the meta narrative that we want. And narrative was so big in this story too, but that's not the, the narrative that makes us sleep well at night. Yeah. But uh, go ahead and talk about that narrative that uh, you said was big in this story. The idea of the power of storytelling, the the way it's discussed in this, it, it goes through money. That's you know, one aspect. It doesn't sound very thrilling, although I think there's really some thrilling moments. I, mean, I, I definitely enjoyed. I definitely enjoyed this book. And he goes about it in a way that's got a real story to it. But there's also these discussions of economy. And, Big discussions and, of econ economy. One of the central arguments is that money is a narrative. It's a story. We all trust the story and believe the story and therefore it works. That money has a certain value. If we're able to shift the story and have trust in something like a carbon coin, and the idea in this story is that if people could be paid for not damaging the earth, as long as they agree to reinvest it in something yeah, uh, carbon it, neutral or, yeah. What you're saying is just exactly the way I remember it from the book and spot on. This carbon coin thing, when you think of it, when I can get paid for not pumping a gallon of gas out of the earth, you mean I'm going to get paid? 
how they were figuring out those mega finances with the Saudis, the oil companies was staggering. But you know what? Robinson comes through and he's got that hopeful kind of, yeah, this could happen. Yeah, I found myself reading it and really feeling more hopeful. There's things that are fictional. He makes up the names for this and for that. And then there's so many things that are not, like the 2000 Watt Society. Again, that's real. It's a real thing that started in 1998. And there's all these other things that are absolutely real. When you combine those things together, you feel like we can do this. These changes can really happen and there's some hope for humanity. It's so nice to feel that in this time as well. Once you get past uh, chapter one and a few other dark moments, but I I was wondering, well, well, go ahead. You were going to say something. I'll I'll come back to what what I was going to say. Oh, no, I, I got caught in those dark moments. Every story has those and Robinson handled them appropriately, I think. Could have happened. A little bit of a Game of Thrones comes to mind. I know we're both huge fans of Game of Thrones. But the Red Keep, that was the moment. And that's well into season two. End of, end of season? Toward the end? I think that was the season finale. And then we had to wait to see what happened. Was it the finale? That. I remember. I feel like I should know. Aria, Aria was like, ah. Oh, yeah. I That really solidified that in my mind as one of the most amazing things I'd ever watched because I was so caught up in, and then that Stark was beheaded earlier as well as possible, but I just had never watched something where so many key characters were all killed off so unexpectedly in one moment. And I just thought, anything can happen in this series. But I haven't read the books, I've just watched the, the, the show. Reading this, it wasn't the same degree because there's so many different points of view. It was hard to, even though Mary is such a strong character, we return to where Frank is. There's other things. I, I, I felt that they were the thread through the story. That's the ending, the beginning kind of thing. Yeah, their their threads are thicker, I guess. If you think of the weave of the story, those are. And but there's other ones as well, and they don't all live. I, I found myself wondering if maybe. Mary might be killed. She could be assassinated by a drone because that was yeah. the people. Oh. The people that we felt a little attached to. I feel like I almost don't want to spoil that, but I was kind of... Oh. That was a good scene too because of the way that her two companions, companion guards, security people, were handling her through that scene. There were moments that it doesn't seem like something that could be a thriller, but you always wonder... You can see this being episodic and working as a Netflix series. Miniseries, yeah. I would do a miniseries. Yeah. And now that makes total sense to me. But how I swam through the the understanding of it. Because I was holding a Kindle. And a 580-page book doesn't... It feels the same as a three-page book. So it was like, what? this is a strange read for me. Hmm. But I honestly enjoyed the book. It wasn't something that I would have picked up. And thank you for pushing me through the first part. I I would definitely recommend it to everybody just for the ideas of what it has and the possibilities. The fear and the hope, the urgency Hmm. uh, is the tension part of it that is, that's the toughest. 
because right. it, it feels oppressive. What did you think of the other voices that we hear there? Like we get the voice of first person stuff. We get the voice of uh, Carbon, I think, at some point. And, and there's all these chapters where it's like, I think we, we get the voice of some deer. At some point, there's these different voices there. And I, I don't know that I always knew who it was. Like, I think I was supposed to figure it out. I don't know if I worked my way through those. It seemed almost like riddles at times. I thought that was really interesting. He, he describes it, Robinson describes it as a chorus of voices, which to me echoed uh, World War Z a little bit, where it, it reads mm-hmm. like, like nonfiction. You get a bunch of these kind of testimonials, or I guess that's a genre in itself, like a witness story. Yeah. That makes sense to me now. Because when, uh, honestly, when I read, read them, and they're short, just little pieces between chapters is what you're talking about. Some of them I love, some of them I hated. Now I'm putting it in perspective of a different character in, inside. I like that. Yeah. You seem like, I mean, you like, you're, you, you like plot a lot, right? That's my, my vibe. I, I actually never thought that I like plot. There has to be a plot or else what is it? It might be a nice poem or something, but a story has to have a plot. That's my feeling. Am I going out on a limb there? Come on. You like what you like. I appreciate that too. The Hunger Games that comes to mind. I think an energy and a pacing that's building, you know, a hero's journey kind of thing. Through our conversations sometimes, I wonder, it seems to me that you like plot a lot, but I don't know. I don't want to try to judge you. There's nothing wrong with it. I just kind of like weird things once in a while too. This is a little weird. I like being a little confused, I think, sometimes when I read something. I thought Annihilation was stranger than this. Oh, oh I would agree with that. Yeah, Annihilation is definitely... Stranger. Yeah, I wonder when that would be an interesting couple of texts to compare there, right? Annihilation and, and this one. I mean, they're both dealing with sense of nature versus humanity. Endgame, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I got, that's the urgency. All right, you want to know my feeling honestly about this? This is what I think is going to happen. I'm going to predict the future now. I'm on the edge of my seat, yeah. All right. I think that a lot of the things Robinson is talking about in here are going to happen. There's going to be like a catastrophic uh, forest fires in California. Then there's going to be flooding. And then there's going to be on top of that, the earthquake and all of this horrible stuff. It has all of this horrible stuff, like the heat waves and, you know, what happened in India. And then in this story, India took it into its own hands and did something that would have effect worldwide of the climate. Yeah, they shoot, um, um, what do they do in the beginning? They shoot a, uh, is it some kind of weapon, some kind of... It was like particles of silver or something up in the atmosphere. Yeah. Thousands of flights to go up there and do this. Thousands upon thousands, just to cool the atmosphere down so those heat waves wouldn't happen again. But they, it wasn't a guarantee that it was going to happen. I, I love that device. There was a, there's a science fiction device there. Hmm. The yellow yeah. ocean struck me at the end there. Like when they were flying oh, in that cliff, they, they dyed the whole ocean up in the Arctic kind of yellow so that it would reflect the sun's rays from warming the ocean. That totally makes sense. But sickening at the same time. I know. It has to be yellow. I don't understand enough about it. Holy smokes. Couldn't they pick a different color? Right. Couldn't it be like blue? Cheery rainbow? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
The question for me is, because I agree with you, I think that's absolutely happening. It's going to happen. I don't see anything changing. I don't see anybody. I'm from the Pacific Northwest, and it's about it as kind of the United States doesn't get a whole lot more liberal in a lot of ways. There's a lot of policies like I haven't seen a styrofoam cup since I was a kid there. <laughs> it just doesn't exist. You're required to dump and compost and, and sort your recycling from everything else. And there's a social pressure. You're not getting plastic bags and stuff like that. It depends a little bit, but not in the, the more populous areas in Seattle or Portland and bigger cities. But then you go to other places and you're like, oh my gosh, like the amount of plastic that's being used for everything. I know. It's just, I know. And so what do you do? It's so hard. Part of the reason to look at moving back, it's so hard to live in the way that I want to live abroad. It's I, I genuinely don't know how to buy nuts that are not in plastic. I haven't been able to figure it out. Pre-pandemic, I knew a place and post-pandemic, everything's sealed in plastic. I just don't. You're right. Yeah. That might be just a pandemic thing. Well, so do you, I don't know, well, go live? Geez, that my whole rant was that I, I think it's just going to get worse and worse. And then humanity is going to get a wake-up call. And that's where this story starts with Mary, with her team and all of that kind of stuff. It gets a wake-up call that it is so bad that if we don't do something right now. So it, it's procrastination of humanity, I think. Something like that's going to happen. There's another version here, which is Margaret Atwood's uh, Orcs and Crank, which is yeah. a whole other way of looking at it going, it's getting bad and people are in their compounds and some people are better off doing all right for a long time until it's just too late. When you look at what's really been just so disheartening to me is looking at all like the way that the U.S. has dealt with not just the U.S., but, but you know, for me, mostly the U.S., how they it's dealt with COVID-19. That response or lack of a response, the general kind of misinformation. Crazy. The, the part about that governor, the Florida governor giving free passes to the front for coronavirus to the rich folks opened up. A well, I didn't even hear that, but it's not surprising. That's happened here in Peru. There's a huge scandal now where the government, oh, they've all been vaccinated and nobody in the country has had a vaccination, but all the political figures and their families have been able to get up. I haven't really read about it. I saw some headlines, but it's so selfish and so much misinformation, such a resistance to following the science and doing what makes sense for the majority. There's so many people out there who honestly lie and misinform, and I don't know why they want to do that, but they find some value in it. And that well, is, is yeah. so big right now. How to tell the truth. And it's it's so pervasive or it's such a strong minority that the U.S. can't even get to herd immunity. If you have that many people refusing to vaccinate and they're refusing probably to you'll have never, You'll never, you know, get ahead. Um, yeah, it just doesn't happen. And, and so that's the, the worry with things like this. I guess you can only control the things you can control. And I think I'm going to really look at this 2000 watt society. I'm really fascinated by that. And I think I'm going to go for it. Just see if I can do it as an experiment. Let's, let's do a little exploration. We'll 
keep it together with this episode. See how we do. I, 2000 watts. I, every time we take our electricity bill in to pay it and we pay cash the, at an OXO, the poor woman who is behind the cash register just about faints because it's the most money she's ever seen for anybody to pay. So something's got to be wrong with our... I know we use a lot of devices and all that stuff, but oh, this is a huge bill. In, in what China, are we going to do in a pandemic? In China, they used to, I don't know where you lived, but probably, probably is different, but where I lived. Absolutely. No, yeah, they, I was always there. They, no, they put our bills on the door. Huh? Yeah, so they would post the amounts. And so you people could see in the whole building what uh who's using the most yeah. shame we were, we were, we were the first yeah we were like the, the what best. is it it worked though because of the shame of being so beyond everybody else that we really tried to do some things to reduce it we were still the most but it wasn't quite as bad in, in this book the, the americans are like twelve thousand watts and then the europeans were uh, second with 6,000 and then the Chinese were increasingly up there or something. But I, <laughs> I, yes, here's here. This is super embarrassing, but I saw there's only a, a few hundred thousand people listening. So I, I have no idea how many Watts we use. Not only that, I have no idea. I know when I go to buy a light bulb, that's got a wattage on it, but yeah. I don't really understand how any of that works. And which makes me, which kind of speaks to the issue, because I'm sure I'm not alone. I'm, I'm confident I'm in the majority, because I'm sure I'm, I'm fairly well educated and all that stuff. And I graduated from this and that, but I genuinely don't really understand any of that. Okay, here's the challenge then. You can't know all of this stuff. But the next time you go out to buy a light bulb, that means that you're going to have to stop, do some research and find out which is the right light bulb for the situation, the availability in, in your area. I suppose you could just get it on Amazon, but then you've got another issue going going for you on that one. Oh, for sure. When you look at some zero waste kind of stuff, like that movement that I'm You guys are so good on that. We try to do some stuff. How close are you to zero waste? I think when we first started doing that in China, there was a little while there where we were pretty close. We were probably at about 90% zero waste, I think, for a while. How did that make you feel? Good, but... What do you but? I still felt um, a little, some stress from trying to do all those things while just living. So, you know, oh, so it wasn't like a natural thing. You really had to struggle. Well, it was really a to get there. Yeah, you had to go to a, a different market altogether to get even in China to get like nuts or beans or certain things, and then it would be often full of stones that you had to sift out, and then composting in your apartment. I mean, you have to cut those all up into little pinky thumbnail sized pieces to compost it fast enough. And you use a processor, like a handful device, and you know, yeah, we were doing all that stuff. I and mean, then it gets infested with bugs, and there were like worms crawling around our apartment. There was like all these things happening. It was a lot of effort. Whereas if you're not doing that, you just buy the plastic thing and you throw it away. Or you just throw away your waste. And, and so we haven't fully figured out a way to be better about that here. It's definitely taken a step back being here. But if I compare it to what we were doing five years ago, 
it's a huge difference. I, mean, I never get plastic bags from to carry my groceries. The thing that we learned from composting at home that was so amazing is we realized how much, two things, one is related, but we realized how much food we throw away. We were throwing away. And so we would go and we would just buy stuff that looked good and that we thought we might use. And then at the end of the week, a bunch of stuff would have gone bad. And we would yeah, that's the biggest challenge, isn't it? But when you have to cut it up and compost it yourself, you're not going to deal with that. So what we found ourselves doing was two things that really worked. One is I found myself always cutting to the end of the onion or the carrot or whatever. Whereas before I just kind of, it seems crazy. This guy, the book is like this too, where you, there's really crazy things that we're doing that don't make any sense, but it's normal. And I would cut off like probably a big chunk of the, the carrot without even thinking. I don't know if that was like working in restaurants back in the day, which is still a total waste. And so, you know, but you don't want to deal with that when you're composting. We were using almost as much as we possibly could. And then the second thing is we started meal planning. And which we still do. It's really rare that we throw away. We just don't. I think one of the things we started doing to not throw it away is I, I, and this is my interest, but became way more knowledgeable about the way to use things that you would normally. Uh, and then you use as much food as you can. So like the ends of all the different vegetables, not all of them, but most of them that don't cloud the broth. Like we, we save all the scraps and make our own homemade broth, which is amazing. Or just saving the rinds from cheese to put in soups or so we actually save you know charlie wasn't eating the crust of the bread like we would save the crust and make our own breadcrumbs that we could use yeah. for things so there's just all these things or, or when we got get a bunch of celery we make pesto out of the celery leaf rather than throw them away so it's just like there's all these different things and we're continuing to do it like i learned a recipe for something that's called a, a cheese fort in french when you have all those ends of cheese that start to go moldy and you don't use you can scrape off or cut off the moldy bits and then put that in the processor with some garlic and uh, and some white wine and you create this cheese dip that's like really tasty. So just, just uh, these, these ways of not being wasteful. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Anyway. Cool. Yeah. Not sure what that has to do with the book, but I think on a micro level, like that's the kind of stuff that it's a return to probably like more indigenous local ways of using everything that you come into contact with. So you're saying that if I didn't have the pressure of paying my taxes, getting a job and getting another job and all of these things that I'll say the word capitalism, it pushes you to. This book was, I hate using the word socialism, but. If we don't share the wealth, if we don't change our ways drastically, then it's over. That's the that's the big takeaway. He talks about how they, they put a cap on what somebody could make that was 10 times another employee. And all the employees would have a livable wage. And to think that some people might make 10 times that of others, when you really step back and take a deep breath and you're like, Holy shit. Some people make 10 times what other people make. That's 10 times. That's a lot. I, I know the punchline here. <laughs> yeah. Versus the average CEO making 200, 250 times the, the average employee. Like 250 is just, it's just too crazy. And it seems, maybe it's anti, it almost seems like anti-American in some ways when we have this so built into our founding kind of ethos. Of, take you know, my, my money away from me. 
if it started out that uh, senators had term limits, they couldn't be a senator forever. What if it turned out that, uh, what were we just talking about? Not senators, but... Yeah, bankers or something. One thing I think a lot of Republicans and Democrats can agree on is that there probably should be term limits. There probably should be a flat tax. There probably shouldn't be any loopholes. At the very least, a flat tax. You could argue that there could be more tax on the wealthier you are, which has worked well in the past. If you're in Congress, you should get the same health care that the average person gets. We're talking about ideas of power here and money and, and politics and all of that. How would they give up that? They'd say, yeah, that's a really good idea. I'll, I'll go one or two terms and then I'll do something else. Or, yeah, I'm a CEO and I'm making way more than you are. And I'm really comfortable with that now. So this is where we need a some kind of solution for this problem. I was going to say, I think the issue comes down to, hey, if this could work with social democracy, but then you need people to be informed. And therefore, you need mass media and news organizations that are not exactly privately run as we know them, or maybe even government funded as we know it. You need some kind of regulations and misinformation and some truth kind of monitoring. And that just kind of led me to like Facebook and all the problems there. And then I thought, well, maybe you have a your lock or something, but I'm not sure that you want exactly private citizens all forwarding everything to each other because that's full of misinformation. We're just victim of all our own biases. and, and Yeah, I'm not sure how that would work. I wouldn't miss Facebook, but lots of people would. And it always amazes me that people would get information from Facebook, but where do I get my information? Okay, New York Times, the digital kinds of services and YouTube and those kinds of streaming services. So I don't know. <laughs> Is Facebook all bad? Should we ban Facebook? I read about, uh, I hope, one of our next books. This is Robinson's Red Mars. He won some awards for this. And Wikipedia says that it's kind of more utopian than dystopian. And when I read that about Red Mars, I thought, yeah, but you know what? That's a lot like ministries, too. It leads you out of a dystopian into a utopian kind of. That's where I think the flow is going here. I see it as being utopian in the end. I can see that. Yeah, absolutely. Is that too much hope for this problem? To me, it reads as possible and believable. I believed it. I finally watched Avengers Endgame over the this break for me. I don't know if we've seen that. Oh, I don't want to spoil anything then. Uh, no, don't worry. Don't worry. It's okay. It was all right, but there's a, who's the I forget his name. The, the big, no, the guy, the troll guy. Batch's character is like uh, he plays a wizard that can travel around in time. Oh, Doctor 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 Strange. Strange. Yeah, and Doctor Strange is is able to see all the different possible number of ways in which the future can work out. When looking at this, the way this whole story works out, I I would say okay, utopian, hopeful. Not what I expected. Appreciate that. Glad I read it. If you were to look at all the possible scenarios. I don't think this is the most likely scenario for us to live out as a, a species. <laughs> More likely in an orcs and crake kind of world than a ministry of the future kind of world. Harsh. That's but, uh, harsh, Chris. Uh, no. <laughs> I don't know. That's just, that's just 
Oh. Too many dystopia novels or something. I don't know what makes me think that. Yeah. But again, that could be also a product. And that's as much as I, I try to critique and analyze the mass media I consume. Despite that, I'm still influenced by it. And, and, uh, and when you just in get, ways you don't even know. Yeah, there's just all these messages about that are so negative and all the things that you read, that's what you can hear and, and read about all, all the time. And so then, of course, I would feel like that. I guess the, the argument against what I'm saying is that for the most part, most people just, most people, not not as lots of exceptions, but most people just live out their days in relative, without a lot happening. We tend to highlight the... Wait a minute. Have you been watching me? <laughs> no, no, no. It's not you. There. No, but for me, it's like that. For you, it's like There's obviously, you know, you're in a place of privilege to think that because there's obviously people in the world that every day it's a war zone, literally for them. But that's not the majority of people for the last few decades. It's not, that's not the majority. But we certainly highlight the outlier, the shocking, strange. Those are the things that, that grab our attention in the news, not the, the boring everyday existence. Of, yeah. I've been on a sailboat. Uh, here and there. And I love something so soothing about that and the idea that it takes forever. It depends on the wind, obviously. What would be a two hour trip by, through, if you were to motor along versus a sailboat, it's just four or five times as long in a sailboat. I feel about walking, you know, and, and driving a car. My neighbor has a car. Most people have. Uh, a lot of people have cars here. Oh, you don't have a car then? Don't have a car. Oh, okay. Haven't owned a car in 25 years. Uh, no. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on uh, 16. Yeah. Yeah, about 25 years. Anyway, I see them going the same place we're going. They would give us a ride if we saw each other at the right time. But then I thought... I'll eventually get there, just like a sailboat. I'll eventually get there. And then sometimes the journey is just as fun. More fun, I would say. I can see us getting a vehicle for back in the States, but I like the idea of never having a car. It's hard in the U.S., which is harder. But if you can live... See, they, they push you into that, that you, that you have to have it in the U.S. Can't be little electric drones that, you know, bust you around. Think of all of the road space parking space that you could change if that was the way that we got around. Oh, we're going to do cocktail chatter. We talked about the resolution ending with the end of the book and whether that was satisfying in terms of resolution. And then we talked about cocktail chatter and then just maybe throwing out a few questions we were left with. We've talked about a whole bunch of issues in the book, which is interesting. Did you feel like there was some resolution at the end for you? Resolution? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think we've talked about this. There was no resolution. It was hopeful. And I think that's all the resolution we needed. So that was satisfying. I told you about my cocktail chatter. What are we be talking about as we sail across the Atlantic or as we sail through the sky over Antarctica into the black ocean that surrounds Antarctica, which I didn't quite understand. What will we be sipping on in our Cloud Clipper? What will we be talking about as we sip cocktails on the Cloud Clipper? Definitely some local craft. My cocktail chatter is Corey Doctorow is going to be contributing a short story to the new anthology by Harlan Ellison. I'm pretty eager to read that Harlan Ellison anthology or some pieces of it. We're talking about how wonderful life is because it's turned around for the earth. We will survive. 
It ends with that Swiss festival, which I was a little worried about because the idea that they would be using the beads that are used in New Orleans during Mardi Gras and that, how those don't biodegrade for forever. This book ends in joy and laughter. We should end with that joy and laughter. Life, death, sci-fi.